So um, welcome to Man in the Stand. It is my true honour and privilege tonight to be um, um, to be joined by, well, what I would call a New Zealand sporting legend. Um, someone, uh, only one of two New Zealanders to ever win uh, a golfing major, and that's Michael Campbell, um, the winner of the two, uh, 2005 US Open at Pinehurst, uh, a, an incredible um, victory where um, he held off a hard-charging Tiger Woods to, um, to win the US Open by two strokes and, uh, and go down in, in New Zealand sporting history. Um, as a golf fan myself, um, you know, um, the, the enormity of that event was not lost on me in 2005 and, and probably over the time is probably is actually grown in time, I think. So, uh, so thank you, Michael, for joining us. Uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I, I just want to look back over your younger years. Um, you were born in 1969 in Hawa, in New Zealand. Uh, you, um, you, you, it was interestingly looking at the research on you. You come from a very, very famous stock. Your your great, 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 great grandfather uh, was um, was John Logan, um, who um, was known as the as the as the father of Auckland. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, back in 1856, he came over and was the mayor of Auckland, and that's how it started, you know, for me. And um, you know, funny enough, I actually back in 1996, I did my I, uh, my, my father at the time started this family tree kind of thing and I kind of finished it. So it's kind of cool to see where I belong in this yeah. world. And yeah. it, it's a nice synergy, I think, that, um, you know, I play golf for a living and, and, it, and it, come, it come from a Campbell kind of background or where, the, where my roots are from. So, uh, I think it's a nice kind of uh, correlation there between the two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so as you say, um, uh, Logan Campbell, being a, um, a, a Scotsman, um, did you and emigrated um, from Scotland to New Zealand? Have you gone to Scotland yourself and kind of looked at that part of your family? Absolutely. I I found the first Campbell on record, his grave, back in twelve ninety six. Wow. I actually went to. Uh, John Logan's camp, uh, sorry, Logan's Campbell, uh, his, uh, where he was born, his house where he was born. Uh, so it was, it was a wonderful journey that I took on, on myself there and uh, I found out, you know, because he came back and forth from Edinburgh to uh, New Zealand and, was, and the person who was living at the house still has all the artifacts, all the carvings and stuff like that from New Zealand. So it was really, really nice to do that. Um, wow, coming back and forth from Edinburgh to New Zealand in those times must have been an, an enormous journey. Yeah, six months worth, I think he said. Because um, funny enough, uh, the, the person who was actually in the house where Sir Logan Campbell was born um, was his great-great-great-grandson. Uh, so it was kind of cool to actually meet the guy. Um, wow. It was, it was a big burly uh Scotsman with ginger beard and stuff like that, and I, I remember knocking on my on his door, and I said, oh, "I think I'm related to you." And he's like, "What? <laughs> what are you talking about?" <laughs> and and growing up uh, in New Zealand in Hara, uh, was that kind of not you as a as a boy? Was that knowledge imparted onto you that you know you had a fairly you know a famous forefather there, or was was that not something that you know was was much prevalent in, in your life growing up as a as a boy in, in Hara, New Zealand? No, no. I mean, I was just running around on the on the, on the farm, you know, chasing cows and, and sheep, and 
and you know feeding them and then milking them and that sort of stuff you know and not until probably when i was i think it was a stage of my life around 25 26 years old i wanted to find out you know where i was from and why i'm here that sort of thing so i've been soul searching a little bit and without my father and my mum as well who started the whole instigated the whole thing about this family tree thing i took over yeah and it was a, such a wonderful journey for me to do that and uh, it, it made me more <sighs> More, more complete, you could say. Uh, but, you know, as a kid growing up, no, I mean, I played, I was just loving sports. I played sports all the time. I played many sports, like five or six different sports Yeah. at the same time. And played rugby, of course. Rugby is the most, you know, as a kid growing up, you, you want to be an all-black. Yeah. And that was, that was my dream to be an all-black. But I soon found out I wasn't, um, wasn't good enough, big enough, strong enough. And I played basketball, tennis, squash, softball but a golf as well um and then my parents said to me mark well you got to just decide at least two different sports because they felt like taxi drivers you know they're running around all the time every day was a practice day and obviously weekends it was just a nightmare so uh, i decided to choose uh softball and golf um when i was about 12 or 13 years old and um because I, I really enjoyed the team aspect when it comes to playing sports because you've got your friends and your teammates around you but I didn't really like, um, what can I say? You know, when, when you play well and you lose and vice versa, and also the referees obviously make human errors and stuff like that. But um, I found that in golf, it's more of a, 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 your scorecard is a true reflection of your performance. There's no excuses. You can't blame the weather. You can't blame anybody else apart from you. Yeah. So, so that was a big attraction for me, I think, golf. And then at, at, at the age of 13, um, I, I was handicapped 34. So it wasn't that great. You know, it was 34. Age of 13 was pretty average, really. But uh, that's when I had a bit of a, a growth spurt, you know, and then 15, when I was 15 years old. So two years later, I was like off a two or three handicap. So I improved immensely yeah. over two years. And and that's when I thought, hey, this is, this is pretty cool. And then I started making... Um, New Zealand teams, you know, under 18, uh, New Zealand team, and then the men's team. And, and all of a sudden, when I was 21, you know, I was winning all these tournaments around, around, around New Zealand, uh, in Australia as well. So things progressed very, very quickly, you could say, in the space of, you know, six years. Yeah. And so when you, uh, as you say, when you started growing and, and, you, and, you, and your handicap started sort of dropping pretty prodigiously, um, did you uh, at, any, at any stage, um, did you think to yourself, um, you know, as you, into your late teens and you started, you know, making these um, regional and national teams, hey, I could, actually, I could actually be pretty good at this and possibly even play it for a living. Did that, did that sort of thought cross your mind at any stage when, as a young guy? When I was thirteen. No, no. When you were when you were a little bit as you got into your teens and you got a bit older and you're uh, no, 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 no. I'm actually asking you a question. When I was thirteen, I, I said, um, "Bro, I knew straight away." Oh wow, <laughs> that's amazing. That's incredible. So yeah, at thirteen years old, you thought I could I could really make something of myself in this game. Yep, because I never forget this. It was uh, I've told the story many times, and I'll tell it to you uh, to, to your listeners today. Yeah, is that uh, so? It was the first day at college. Um, so you're 13 years old, right? So you got me from intermediate, yeah, uh, primary, intermediate, and college. And the first day at college, I was 13 years old, and I never forget. You know, it was about 30, 
kids in the class and we'd just stand up in front of the class and say hi my name is john smith you know my parents are from auckland um, and i want to be a doctor and the next person stands up hi my name is you know so and so i want to be a nurse or i want to be a fireman i'm a replacement so my, my turn, and I said, hi, my name is Michael Campbell. I'm from, I was born in Harra, and I want to be a golf professional. So don't forget, you know, this is back in 1892, sorry, 18, 1982, 1982 it was. Yeah. And for a young Maori kid to say golf professional back in those days, it's like, what? Are you, yeah. are you, are you crazy? Yeah. And yeah. of course, of course, all my classmates at the time laughed at me. But I didn't care because I was so determined, and that was my, my, my that was my destiny. Simple as that. So, so, so from 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 that day on, I decided that okay, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so it was, I was very fortunate because don't forget, a lot of kids don't know what they want to do in the future until maybe 16, 21, 25, 35. But yeah. I was lucky, lucky enough to find my my um, my passion. Uh, was my passion then back in those days uh, and i just knew that you know it was meant to be so that's what i said that's amazing um uh, tell me something michael uh, i've been talking to a few american um uh, people in, uh, lately uh, on on golf um channels and what have you and and uh, uh you mentioned as you say as a young maori man growing up i grew up in a man or two not far you know down the road from you uh at the same sort of vintage you know, i'm about two or three years younger than you so i kind of grew up in the same time in the same place and and we like to think of new zealand as a fairly uh kind of open place where opportunity is open to all and and, and what have you we're quite lucky in new zealand but i don't i don't pretend to have rose tinted spectacles about it either um and, and so uh, I, I'm talking to a lot of American people. Um, uh, you know, people from ethnic minorities in America have a very hard time even getting onto golf courses and uh, and actually accessing the game. Now, you you know got onto golf courses, accessed the game easily enough. But as you sort of climbed in the game, um, did you was it did you encounter any sort of um, static or, or or sort of um, bad attitudes from people um, being that you were a young Mary player or, or, or was that not really an element um, in, in your life? Were you, were you lucky enough to sort of get around that? Yeah, I was very fortunate to get around that sort of element because and, and, and I know that um, friends of mine, you know, had a few, you know, uh, issues with that sort of stuff. But for me, I don't know, but I was very lucky. I mean, I, I was so lucky to grow up in a, uh, very supportive and a wonderful environment in Tahi Bay Golf Club. Yeah. Tahi Bay um, <laughs> uh, is where I started playing, and you got to realise that it's a golf course where it's nine holes on a farm. There's sheep everywhere, and there's fences around the greens to t- to keep the sheep out. Yeah, so I've actually uh, I've actually played Tahi Bay. I actually, no, you it. haven't. I have. I actually played Titahi Bay. A bunch of my friends and I played Titahi Bay. And we actually ran into your uncle, I believe, in Titahi Bay. And uh, he said, oh, this is where Michael Campbell used to play. Now, this was many, many years ago. And uh, and and what was struck me about Titahi Bay was, A, it was, as you say, ringed by fences and, and, and sheep and everything. And B, man, it was steep. There's a, it's a really, really challenging up and down sort of walk. It's um, It's a tough little course, isn't it? Yeah, well, the thing is, that's why I think uh, I performed very well in, in the Opens. You know, I played in 55 
majors and about 15 uh, opens, British opens. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the thing that I love about that golf course, it's very windy as well. So you've got to shape your shots, you've got to low and high and fades and draws and stuff like that. But also you're, it's demanding this sort of sense where the, <clears throat> the every, every lie you have or every start you have is very uneven, which is very similar to, to what you, you get when you play a, an open championship. So, yeah. uh, you know, that's, that's one thing that's really helped me in the past. Is, is to play well in open championships, but yeah, that was my that was my <laughs> humble beginnings, you could say, uh, and uh, so I went from there to Manor Park, and that's where I met Mel Tung. Mel was uh, my first real coach back when I was 16, 17 years old, yeah, and he, and he, he transformed my game completely um, until I was like probably 25, 26 years old. Then went on to uh, Jonathan Yarwood, another English guy, and uh, yeah, I mean, to to to, to have a career of winning 15 times around the world, including world match play as well as a major championship. I think the lowest I got in the world rankings was uh, number six, number seven in the world. But that's when, you know, Tiger was number one, Phil was number two, Ernie was number three, Petitkus number four, yeah, BJC number five sort of thing. So it was pretty hard to crack into the top five. But um, in, my, in my prime, you could say, you know, from 2000, 2005, I had a lot of success there, and and that's where it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, you certainly did. You really did. And I'm going to sort of go through some of those. Um, but I want to go back a little bit, um, and actually to your first really major success, which was a member of the New Zealand Eisenhower Trophy winning team in 1992, where you and uh, uh, um, coach Grant Clemens, Stephen Scahill, Phil Teldarangi, and Grant Moorhead. Um, and yourself won the um, Eisenhower Trophy in 1992 by an incredible seven strokes. Now, anyone who doesn't know what the Eisenhower Trophy is, it's it's the team amateur, um, uh, you know, world championship. So you've got teams like uh, you know the states and the UK who who win this multiple multiple times. And for a, a a team from New Zealand to to go through and compete in this, and B win it by seven strokes from an American, uh, a very very good American team, was absolutely incredible. Um, and 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 Michael, I want to ask you two things on that. Number one. Um, what did you realize at that time? Uh, wow, this is pretty special. Um, we're a pretty, this is a pretty special bunch we've got here. And two, do you think a New Zealand amateur team could ever reach those heights again? Because that, I mean, that's never been done since. And uh, and um, and I'd be interested to see was that just a, a magic moment in time, or uh, was it a cluster of great players all at once? And um, and and yeah, as I say, what do you think of the chances of that ever happening again? Look, it was it was magic in the bottle. That's all I can say. We played amazing golf that week. Uh, I'll never forget the last day. Uh, it's quite a funny story, really. But and uh, the prize giving. So after we won, uh, there was like a forty-five minute delay for the prize giving because yeah. because all, all they had was the American national anthem. Because <laughs> <laughs> because Americans were like nine shots ahead. Well, I can't remember exactly what it was, and. Uh, so we had to wait for 45 minutes to an hour to get the, someone had to, someone had to run down, because we played in Vancouver, run down to the uh, uh, local consulate there and grab the national anthem for, from New Zealand. Wow. So, <laughs> that's another story. But anyway, yeah, I mean, it was, it, was, it was lightning in the bottle. You know, it was incredible how we played that day, especially the last nine holes. I think we were like probably three shots behind uh, collectively as a team and, we won by seven, as you say. We just played some credit golf for the last, you know, nine holes. Grant played great. 
Graham Moorhead, Tim Scarhill, Philip and myself. Philip won the individual. He was no, I came second. So, wow. so that's one thing. So you got two, two, two Maori boys winning. Oh, we won the Eisenhower. Obviously, it was the main event, which is absolutely the main event. Yeah. Uh, but we had number one, number number two in the uh, in the rankings for the individual. So that was pretty cool. And uh, people don't realise that, but uh, it was it was, a, it was an amazing week. Oh, uh, yeah, great. I mean, and so as I say, Michael. Um, I mean. That's a very hard thing to do, um, and I wonder if it'll ever be done again. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I don't really know this the state of the amateur game in New Zealand. I'm sure there's a lot of very promising young players, but to, I think to do that would be extremely tough. Well, the thing is that, you know, it is possible. I mean, we, in, in the previous uh, performances on the, in the Eisenhower, it wasn't that great, but uh, we managed to pull things together. But it's a real... You got to realise to win a major championship, to win you know a uh, even a PGA Tour event, or to win the Eisenhower, it takes a lot of a lot of stuff going on at the right time. And uh, we had a great manager, Roger Bradand, and Grant Clements had a dream of doing this. You know, I remember he started this whole thing back in uh, the mid '80s. Grant Clements unfortunately passed away a long time ago. Yeah, but uh, he had a vision that uh, he wanted to do, and so he brought together all these high-performance coaches and stuff like that for us to... Uh, he got us uh, funding to travel more um, around Asia and different parts of Europe as well. So it's not... It's not it, people got to realise it's not about that week. You know, it's, it's not about me winning the US Open. It, it took 30 years for me to do that. Yeah. It doesn't take, a you know, four rounds of gold. Yeah. Uh, the same with um, when Grant Clements decided to, to to start this whole amateur scene of of having more funding and stuff like that, better coaching, equipment back in '85. So it was like a seven year process yeah. until you know we had a lot of success. And yes, I hope there'd be uh, another New Zealand team uh, to lift that trophy again. It's it's definitely possible. Um, the thing is that because you know, I'm so far away from from New Zealand, I don't really know much about the amateur scene back home unfortunately but uh you know i'm sure with the right guidance and the right knowledge uh, you know anything's possible okay so then let's as i say go through to your professional career so after you as I say you after that um eisenhower trophy winning um uh, result you know uh, you went on to go into an incredible professional career michael where as i say 15 professional wins and i'm just going to reel through them the australian masters the german masters two heineken classics the european open the irish open the johnny walker classic the New Zealand Open, the World Match Play Championships, and, uh, and then the 2000, 2005 US Open. Um, uh, just, uh, I know, you know, that's a that's a hell of a lot. I mean, and there's a there's a lot more. And as you say, you climbed to as high as I think you say six in the world. So, um, and, you know, and and only one other New Zealand golfer has won a major championship, and that was Bob Sue Bob Charles. So, uh, Michael, uh, you know, that's an, it's an incredible career that you fashioned there. Um, and obviously, the U.S. Open is the pinnacle. Um, I, I, but I also contend that I think your World Match Play Championship was was as 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 big. And in terms of the golf you played that week to to beat, you know, uh, 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 Jeff Ogilvie, um, uh, Retief Goosen seven and six, and then beat Paul McGinley two and one in the final in Wentworth. I watched that. That that was some of the best golf from you I think I've ever seen. 
Um, yeah, there's a story behind that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> once again, you know, it's, it's nice to have these, these sort of conversations because it, it reminds me of um, the circumstances. Yeah. Uh, and it was the Tuesday, the Tuesday of the World Match Play. And uh, my coach is there and he's English and he's pulled out a from his uh, back pocket uh, article from, I can't remember what paper it was, um, some English paper saying that, you know, there's no way that Michael Campbell was good enough uh, to join the likes of three other golfers who've won the US Open and the World Match Play in the same year. Yeah. So, so, so the other three golfers were Ernie Els, Arnold Palmer and, and Gary Player. So basically, he just wrote me off. Yeah. Right? Saying that it's, it's just, he's, he's not in the same class as these guys. Wow. So so what I did, yeah, uh, what I did, I put that little article in my yardage book. So I see, see my, my yardage book, I see, you know, every hole, uh, I see this article. <laughs> so that, so that, that was my, my motivation. Yeah. That's incredible. So, yeah. So, so to be mentioned in the same sentence, as these three other amazing golfers, you know, to win the U.S. Open and the World Match Play in the same year was is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that that was um, absolutely amazing, and I, I still remember watching it myself. And 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 uh, and I think even the commentators, when you beat Paul McGinley, were were still even. I think uh, on that final day, you were the outsider um, uh, between the two of you. And uh, and, and as I say, I think um, the commentators I watched in the UK broadcast were. We're kind of stunned uh, still that you went on and won it. So you know, for, to go on from the US Open, um, you know, and, and hold back a, a hard charging Tiger Woods to, to then go on to the World Match Play Championships and, and win again, as uh, a couple of months later, was uh, I think, as I say, I, I, I sort of put that up as, as high as, as as the US Open in terms of the achievement. I thought it was absolutely incredible. But let's yeah. go back to that U.S. Open. Um, I, so I, I, I'll put you where I was as a fan of that, watching that. I was in Dubai at the time. I was three of three thirty in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. Uh, I was waiting for my. Um, uh, I was my wife was heavily pregnant, and we were just about to have our our second second <laughs> second child. And uh, so I'm I'm living and working in Dubai, and I'm watching uh, the U.S. Open on satellite TV, and and. On the final day, as say, Rutev Goosen was it was kind of almost it was almost anoint, he was almost anointed. He was the defending US Open champion from the year before. He had a comfortable lead going into the final day. You'd played um, uh, really well on the on the third round and, and bolted up into contention, but it was more like a uh, Michael's Campbell's, Campbell's done great, but it, this is kind of Rutev Goosen's. It, it was basically a bit of a was going to be a procession, but it never it just didn't turn out that way at all. So, could you kind of take me through um, that sort of final day and 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 what your sort of mindset was when you started off that morning and 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 has the day developed and 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 uh, and and you sort of started? Did were you, were you looking at leaderboards? What, what what were you thinking as the day developed, Michael? Well, uh, let me rewind, okay, a little bit here. So this is what June two thousand and five. Yeah. So um, at start of the year of two thousand and five, I played like six tournaments in a row, missed every single cut. I was shooting eighties, you know, and I couldn't keep on the golf course. I was playing army golf, we call it, you know, yeah. hitting left and right everywhere. It was embarrassing. So, so this is back in uh, what. January, February. So I decided to go to see my coach and Jonathan Yarwood in America, and I spent five weeks with him, 
five weeks every day working from working my butt off. Yeah. And then we found a golden nugget, I call it. Uh, a golden nugget would gave me more confidence. Um, and then came back to Europe in April and then started making, finishing the top 10, you know, top five. So once again, I've gone from shooting 80s, missing cups by, by 10 shots to in contention. Yeah. Because, because I found one golden nugget. Um, and then, so the, the, once again, it was it's all, you know the, the any sport really it's all about momentum, right, and confidence. And you know, I had that momentum going. As I qualified for the uh, actually, sorry, it was the first time that the USGA had qualified outside America. And I went to uh, the qualifying, uh, which is like a forty-five minute drive from my house in Brighton, in England. Yeah. And qualified just on the number. I buried the last hole to qualify. Yeah, yeah, you got through sectional qualifying, uh, 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 didn't you? Um, and uh, you had to make that last putt to actually to get through and qualify for the US Open, didn't you? Yeah, so you, you get realise, you know, yes, I won the US Open, but there's a lot of uh, things going on before then, a lot of things going on. Uh, for example, the last hole I played with Steve Webster, Webby hit it to like 10 feet, I had to 9 feet. I had to be my marker because of the same line as Webby. So Webby missed it right edge, and I lipped in right edge. Wow! I saw his, I saw his his putt. Yeah. So there you go. That's, you know, so things happen for a reason, right? Yeah. Fate, if you want to call it fate, whatever. So yeah. I qualify the number, and the last person to qualify, fly to America, feeling pretty good about myself, and um, as <laughs> uh, I never forget this uh, because it, it was Adam Scott and I were we were pretty good friends, and Scotty and I were like sitting to and next to each other flying from um, England to to America. And um, we're writing down our goals for the week. Uh, and, and my goal was top 10. Yeah. And Scotty, Scotty's goal was like top five because he was playing quite nicely. And uh, I said, okay, okay, Scotty, if I win, if, if, I, if I, sorry, if I uh, make top 10 US Open, I'm going to buy myself a secondhand Porsche. That was my prize to myself. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I think the most important thing to understand to all the listeners out there is that you've got to play a game within the game. So, so in saying that, so as the week progressed, you know, I found myself you know, inside the top 10 after three rounds. I think I was seventh or something. I can't remember. So I went from a used Porsche to a brand new Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that kind of uh, transpired a little bit more. And then, yeah, but that's in a different story. But the thing is that, so the last day, I remember having lunch with Retief because Retief and I are very good friends. He's probably my best mate on tour. Right, Retief. right. And we had lunch together. So we're sitting there because he's um, 10 off just before him. He's last group. I'm sick of the last group. So he's playing with Jason Gore and I'm playing with Olin Brown. And and I, I saw something making goose. I'm thinking... God, he, he's going to play bad today. He wasn't. I don't know what it is. It, it, I, know, I know I can say it now, but I, I just felt it. You know, you, when you feel something, you know, instinctively, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, intuition or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I just felt that he he wasn't going to play well, and I thought, Phew, okay, I've got a chance here. And and after six holes, I'm leading the golf tournament. Yeah. So, so, so from from the sixth hole onwards, I was, you know, um, detailing the car. 
the more more new Porsche, the the color, uh, the different color brake capillaries, uh, bigger tires, um, exhaust. It's going to be a little bit louder. You know, I was doing that sort of stuff through the whole course of. Surprisingly, I was doing that the whole time. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, and were you still doing that? Uh, you know, when you were getting right down to the business end of the tournament, when you were sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, were you were you? Oh, or had your mind shifted, or were you, were you still thinking like that? Of course, I was thinking about the, my car. <laughs> That's amazing. What a great story. Uh, well, the thing is, it's the thing, you've got to understand that when, when you focus on the small things, they really matter. What? What? I'm trying to distract myself yeah. from the bigger picture. That's, yeah. That's what yeah. I'm saying to you. Yeah. And uh, and and my way. It doesn't work for everybody, but that's how I did it. <laughs> yeah. And what? So. Then take us through what happens once you win a golfing major. Um, what are the what are the commitments like? What 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 does it do to your life? Uh, you know, uh, you know, becoming a, a, a U.S. Open champion. Uh, you know, because I've I've heard this a lot. Like it, it becomes it, it, it's an enormous journey that then people then go on. The winners go on in terms of this. You know, there's a hell, hell of a lot of commitments. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of drain on your time, uh, and uh, you have to be a lot of places for a lot of people. There's a lot of press. There's, um, you know, and and uh, it, it, so tell us, you know, in your own words, how did you find the the, the journey afterwards um, from being crowned US Open champion? <laughs> Honestly, uh, it was nothing that I was prepared for. It, it's it's absolute mayhem. Um, uh, I would sit down with my manager every day and we have three pages, A4 size, of requests. Wow. It's, 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 it's hard to describe, really. It's just, uh, yeah, crazy. But it's, it's, a, it's a good crazy. And the thing, the thing that happened to me, really, I didn't say no. I said yes to everybody. So that, was, that means I, I, I practice less. I went to the gym less, I played less tournaments, I want to go to charities. Because when you, I don't know, when you're the, like the flavor of the month, you have more influence to raise. Because, you know, I, I'm a, my, my grandmother taught me a very important thing when I was very, very young. And I still stand by it to this day. Her philosophy about life, you know, you know you're born with two hands. Um, one to receive, one to give back. So when... I was in that position of giving back. I made the most of it. And my golf suffered, yes, but I don't care. I mean, I, I've, I've been enriched with some wonderful, you know, I'm healthy. My boys are healthy. My two young boys, oh, they're 21 and 22 and 20. Yeah. You know, you know they're, they're healthy. So, you know, I've, I've had a good life and, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy. So there's no, no, Yes, obviously, you know, it would be nice to win another major. And, you know, yes, but with this one, the ego gets gets in the way a little bit more. And you want more, and greed comes into it as well. So this is, I mean, look, I'm, I'm happy with my 15, you know, wins around the, around the globe. Yeah. I'm sure a lot, a, lot of, a lot of kids will give their right arm for that. But, 
Yeah, and, and well, yeah. you should be, Michael. I mean, as I say, um, being a massive golf fan, a sports fan, and a very proud New Zealander, watching that at 3.30 or 4 in the morning in New Zealand as you, you know, would crown the US Open champion, I had to wipe a tear from my eye because I was so very, very proud of you and of, of you know, and to, you know, and, and just to see the small-town boy from not far up the road from where I lived be crowned the US Open champion, I was, you know, absolutely stunned because you were living and competing in, in peak Tiger years, you know. This was when Tiger sort of roamed the golf courses and kind of worried golfers out of titles and intimidated them and just from his sheer presence and sheer game and yet you, you held firm and, and won in style and and I thought, you know, it was, yeah, it was an enormously emotional um, and, and, and wonderful moment in New Zealand sport and I'll, I'll never forget it. Yeah. Oh, thanks. The thing, the thing I realised. Sorry, I interrupt here, but but that, listen, like, that's very nice of you. Thank you very much for those uh, wonderful words. But um, you got to realise something that, um, yes, uh, Tiger was dominated world golf for ten years from ninety eight to two thousand eight. He dominated golf yeah. for such a long time, yeah. and I, I was privileged enough to be in the same era. Yeah, I feel privileged. You know, yes. I, I could have won more tournaments. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I remember competing against Tiger a couple of times, and I, you know, I lost him. I think two or three times. Came second to him two or three times. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm I'm happy. The thing is, you go realize that on that final day, you know, it was a true David and Goliath kind of scenario. You know, Tiger won ten majors. He just won Augusta two months before. I was ranked number 86 in the world, complete outsider. And I never forget standing on the 10th tee, so I've got nine holes to play, and Tiger's playing in front of me, right? Tiger's playing in front of me, and one shot ahead of Tiger. The, the, the rest of the field are kind of gone now. They're like three or four shots behind us. So they're pretty much finished, done. Mm. So I remember standing there on the 10th tee, and his playing partner uh, had a ruling. So that's 10 minutes. So imagine 10 minutes on that 10th tee. Wow. Seems like a lifetime, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I decided, I mean, and, and once again, you know, the golfing gods were talking to me. I remember reading a book uh, by Bruce Lee. It came into my mind because I, I was big into the whole psychology, right? Yeah. And I was, I was reading a lot of books back in those times. And there was this book by Bruce Lee called, oh, I can't remember now. Zen, Zen in the martial arts or something, martial arts, something like that. And there was one paragraph that really stood out that came to me. I don't know why, how or why it came to me. Goes because he, he said like you know the body's like a like a like water, like water that flows. Yeah. And, and he said uh, something like you know you imagine your mind uh, as an empty glass and being filled with water, which is going to be filled of positive thinking. So, so what I did was I stood there and visualizing an empty glass of water, filling it with, oh, I can't remember what I said exactly. Um, I'm deserving. I worked hard for this. You know, it's my time to shine. All these key words, these thoughts, these processes, these um, uh, words I was speaking to myself. And it's one sentence that really stood out for me was, once again, I have no idea where it came from. Okay, I didn't read about it. I said, seize this as an opportunity, not a threat. Mm. And it's a whole pot of flight. You know, you run towards trouble, you run away from trouble. Yeah. And I decided to run towards trouble. So there you go. Yeah.
Yeah. And then the rest, as they say, is history. So, um, uh, you know, th- th- that, uh, you know, you, you, were, you were, as I say, celebrated in New Zealand. That was a, that was a massive, um, a massive day for all, for all New Zealand sports fans. And um, as I say, a great, a great story of, of golf. Um, so let's now look at the sort of like the present and the future. So, I mean, in 2015, you know, you, you retired, just citing, um, you, you went through a few um, injury issues. You had shoulder injury issues, you had ankle injury issues and, and, uh, and retired in 2015. Now, last year I saw you, I was really pleased to see you back out actually playing again. Uh, and um, so a couple of questions is, so what are you doing now, Michael? Um, and, and where, what sort of where do you think in terms of um, your game? Uh, do do you either senior tour and think about that, or um, or are you quite happy in, in where you are in your life and what you're doing? I'd be interested to know. Sort of, I know you run a golf and academy in Spain. If you'd like, just like to tell us about that, and and uh, and sort of, you know, where, where you'd like to uh, is that where you're happy enough being, or or are you look, thinking considering the seniors tour at any stage? Yeah, well, as I said before, you know, what my grandmother taught me uh, a long time ago when I was 10, 12 years old was, you know, to, to give back. And um, having a golf academy like uh, I have here in southern Spain here has given me the opportunity to, to share my experiences and knowledge with these other people and, and young kids. So that's been fun for me. But uh, I feel like I've got um, more uh, gas left in the tank. You know, I want to go out there and play and compete. I love competing. Uh, so what my, my goal is this year and depending on COVID that sort of stuff, but it is to play a, a few more events on the, what well, say, sorry, play events on the seniors tour. I'm 52 now. So I'm very keen to go there and play again and, yeah. and, and compete again. You know, I try to play a few events on the European tour and realize that you know, I'm, I'm just not strong enough, hit it far enough because these kids now are just, they're just monsters. They hit it so far. So. Um, I think uh, I think right now that you know my, my goal really is to go out there and play on the seniors tour and, and have some fun and see my old friends I haven't played for, I haven't seen for a long time or play with for a long, very long time so yeah that's that's my kind of uh, kind of goal right now okay so uh, as as you say as COVID kind of restrictions lifted uh, please you know God eventually um, and you, you can um, and get to the states we we could potentially see your name up in the, in the senior tour in the states yeah that's that's the, the ultimate for me is yeah. to play look I'm, I'm not going to play and you know, i've done the whole 25 years on tour sort of thing so i'm going to play like you know 12 events 15 events a year and that's 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 plenty for me yeah because you've got lifetime um uh, membership on the european tour haven't you yeah i have but uh, i probably won't take it because it's just uh, yeah. I, was out, I, I was out there and I just realised that you know, I can't compete against these young guys now. Uh, maybe I'm on a very selective kind of uh, a selected uh, golf course types, but um, not in the long ones, that's for sure. Yeah, because uh, it, one of the things I've neglected to go, I actually looked over, um, unfortunately, was you, you, um, you were the European um, Tour Player of the Year. And I think on the year, was it the year that you won the World Match Play Championship? I think you missed out by a just a whisker on the European Tour Order of Merit uh, money prize um, money list of, um, list to Colin Montgomery, but but just by by a few dollars, I think, isn't that right? Oh, I can't remember. 
Yeah, or, I think or, you were. Or, or yeah. I remember as I came second. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you were very, very close on that European tour of, tour of merit. Okay, it's interesting you say about the these young kids because that's the next thing I just want to take you to about where you sort of see the game today. Um, I, I, I mean, I look at golf and I see it's in rude health. I, I just think golf as a game is incredible health uh, in the way that there is so many amazing young players out there now doing incredible things. But I'd like to know from you, Michael, uh, sort of where do you see the game and, and, and are there sort of rising stars and players that you like to watch yourself personally? Well, the thing is that, um, you know, in any sport, it's called evolution, right? So uh, I, I was lucky enough to be, see three different generations of players. So when I first turned pro back in 92, 93, there was Norman. Norman was the best player. Seve, Faldo, you know, yeah. Woosnam, Sammy Lyle, those guys. So there's the first generation I came across. And the second generation was uh, Mickelson, uh, Tiger, Ernie, Retief, uh, you know. Yeah. There's so many, BJ, uh, Davis Love, Fred Couples. And then the third generation was Rory and, and then um, Tommy Fleetwood, who I played with as well. So, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to, to be exposed uh, to these different but amazing players. Yeah. And, and the most important thing that people got to realise is that you got to see the game grow, right? And yes, there's... Let's talk about restrictions on the golf ball and, and the driver going too far. But that's only like 0.1% of people who play the game. Yeah. If you think about it, right? The rest of us, so the rest of them, uh, the other players wanted it further. So or make people come back and play. You know, the, if it, the ball goes straighter and further, of course the game's going to grow. If they, they pull mm. the, If they pull the ball back, or the driver back or the clubs back and see more shape in the shots, there's no way that because the game of golf is hard to play if you think about it. It certainly is. It's hard, even for us as a, at a high level, it's hard to play. And uh, are the, the players now less talented than the players back in you know, the Seve days or the Norman days? Probably yes, because there's less movement of the golf ball. So you can miss hit it and still go the same distance. Whereas, you know, back in the 90s and early 2000s, you got to hit it right in the center for it to perform better to, to, for the optimal performance of the golf ball. Yeah. But, but now these, you know, guys out there on tour who wouldn't even make a cut, you know, 20 years ago. Mm. <laughs> so it's different, but I'm not, look, maybe I'm old school, but I was lucky enough to, to see all three different generations and go through the process and, and, you know, the manufacturers, what they've done with technology is amazing. Um, I, I just think it's right now golf is healthy because yeah. it's been made a little bit easier to play because the ball goes further and straighter. As simple as that. Okay. Uh, is there a particular player, Michael, that, uh, that you would um, uh, cross the road, so to speak, to go and watch uh, any young player or, or, or player, even not young, but just any player playing um, in the game today uh, at the top of the game that you would think, oh, I'd, I'd actually like to go and see that play that guy play in person. I actually don't watch golf. <laughs> I don't watch golf at all. That's interesting. 
Okay. Um, I was just, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Sorry for the no, very blunt answer, but I actually don't. No, understand. no, no. That, that, hey, that, that's uh, look. Hey, I completely. I can kind of understand why you don't. After playing for so, so, so many years, I can, I can kind of understand why you wouldn't. Uh, to put it this way, then uh, here's another one. Then I just, I, I think you've got a. Uh, you must have. Even though you don't watch golf, you must have enjoyed um, hearing about uh, Lee Westwood, um, you know, doing so well at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Because here's a guy that I know you, you know, you're, you're friends with Lee Westwood. You, you've played a lot with him down the years. Here's a guy who won, who's won in the '90s, the noughts, the tens, and the twenties. I mean, that, that's an incredible achievement from Lee Westwood, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's just phenomenal. I mean, it's great to see my friend, very good friend up there. Have a chance. I mean, last week at Bay Hill, actually, it's the only time I watched golf was to watch him. <laughs> uh, but but the, what's again, you know, you got to realise that the golf ball, the golf ball reacts to physics. It doesn't matter. It doesn't know the golf ball doesn't know how old you are. Yeah. Your gender, um, whether you're six foot, five foot, or seven foot tall. You know your your religion. It yeah, reacts, it reacts to to to, to, to uh, physics and what what uh, Lee displayed last week against the muscle-bound um, Bryson does just show that you know it's not about how he far you hit it. It's it's you know basically um, it's how you play and yes, there's a huge advantage that you know over Lee. Like for example, the sixth hole, I think uh, uh, Bryson had 80 yards to the pin and. First yes. shot on a par five, and I think Lee had like 230 yards. So yes, yes it's, it's a massive, but they, they, they both had fours. <laughs> so yeah, uh, both go to the hole. So you got to realise that yes, it's not about um, how far you hit it and and stuff like that. So it's the it's um, the number on the scorecard, and and I, I think hats off to Lee what he did last week. He was amazing. Yeah, and, and and just at the TPC this week, um, I haven't tuned in um, right now. It's Friday evening as we speak, but um, uh, his first round at TPC Sawgrass um, uh, yesterday, he was three off the lead. He's right in the wheelhouse again, Lee Westwood. And so, um, and and I watched his interview as he came off um, the first eighteen holes of his first round yesterday, and he was very happy with where his game is at, and feels um, that he can um, you know carry on the good work from last week at Arnold Palmer. So good luck to Lee. I I think um, it, there's no reason why he can't. I think TPC Sawgrass suits his game. It's not the it's not the longest course in the world. Um, and uh, you know, I know that another New Zealander, Craig Perks, won the TPC um, uh, many years ago. Um, did you play t- a TPC um, uh, much yourself, Michael? Oh yeah, I played there from like fifteen times or something like that. <laughs> and what are your thought? What are your thoughts on the course itself? Oh, I, I love I love TPC. I think it's a great golf course. I mean. You know, this, this, the uh, 17th hole is so intimidating. It's only like a nine-iron wedge, um, but it's because it's surrounded by water. It's a real mental battle, really, or anything else. And you know, I, I really, really enjoyed that week. It's a fun week, and obviously, it's you know they call it the fifth major. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's always a, it's always a great week that week. Well, I'll tell you what, Michael, that you'd be stunned. Uh, there's been so many balls go in the water in the first round uh, at TBC. That 17th um, at Island Green has, has been the undoing of a lot of golfers this week. Um, uh, there's a lot of guys who have stuck it in the drink um, uh, in the first round. And so um, it's it's really interesting. Um, OK, and just a fi- final, um, uh, just a final question, Michael. Uh, 
if 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 I was a young golfer, or for the for the young golfers out there listening who who love the game and who are looking to to sort of get somewhere in the game, what would you uh, you know a, a major champion and, and a multiple champion across the years? What would you tell any young golfer listening, um, uh, you know, um, as a piece of advice, um, you know, going forward and, and, and as they try and make their way in the game? Oh, this so many things. And I think the most important thing that I, that I've discovered in my career is ask questions. Right. Ask questions. Okay, what's that mean? Ask questions to you know people um, about management, about fitness, about obviously the golf game. Um, always ask questions. It's one thing I did all the time. Ask questions to all the players. How do you play this bunker shot? How do you play this chip shot? How do you play this putt? You know, how do you how do you chip? You know, all that. Always, always, always ask questions. So that's number one. Number two is have a good team around you. And what's a team? A team, although you're individual sport, you've got to have a good team around you. A good manager, you know, uh, you've got to have a fitness guy, you've got to have a coach, psychologist. You know, you know, there was a time when I had like probably six people around me. So what I had to do is play golf. You know, I had an accountant, you know, I had an investor, everyone around me. Uh, so... Yes, there's so much. And also to, to believe what you're doing is right, to have the passion, to be driven, you know, all the wonderful things that create success, dedication, work ethic, that the list goes on and on and on. And then you will have people around you, close, family, friends, uh, family, cousins, relations, uh, second cousins who, who doubt you or, or who, you know, try and put you, just have doubters around you. And that's yeah. going to happen. And yeah. you've got to be determined and you've got to just have that self-belief, the inner belief that you can do it because you're going to have people who try and knock you down all the time. Okay, and on that, uh, I'd like to thank you, Michael, for your time. I, I really, really appreciate it. It's been a, an absolute privilege to speak to you and, and talk to you about the game and about your career and, and time in it. Uh, and, um, uh, yeah, I just can't thank you enough for, for your time this evening. Absolute pleasure. It was great fun sharing all my stuff with you. Thanks, Michael. Okay.